0: Just as we pray and as we've seen, we are Christians who are so keen to have everyone having a Bible so they can read of passages like this in a Bible. Wonderful passage, Ephesians chapter one, and we'll read from verse one to ten. If you're using the church Bibles it's on page one, two, two, four. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Thank you, uh, John. Let's pray, friends. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you bless this word to our hearts this morning and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we continue our series of studies on uh, the book of Ephesians. We are still in chapter 1. I said that Martin Lloyd Jones preached 232 sermons. I think uh, we don't have an open song. Don't worry; it's not part of my sermon title this morning. Uh, but uh, I said Martin Lloyd Jones preached 232 sermons. I think on Ephesians, uh, John Calvin, uh, 48. Uh, we won't give, get into 48 or 232, but certainly in chapter one, uh, we have lots of substance here. In fact, someone in our growth group uh, said the other day, "I'm going to do a Chris." and looked at one verse in the Bible, apparently. So, there you go. And they, they studied for half an hour or 45 minutes at one text in the Bible. So, it's happening. So, friends, this morning, we're going to look at this topic, adopted in Christ. Last week, we looked at what it meant to be chosen in Christ. And so, for our text this morning, it's uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 5, and 6. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Well, before I uh, continue on, if you can't hear me in the back, uh, can you hear me clearly? Because some people have said they can't, if you, oh, I see some thumbs up, so that's good. Alright, if you can't hear me, uh, well, I don't know how you're going to let me know, but I will speak, I will speak loud. <laughs> that's okay, alright. Okay, so this morning we continue. To work our way through Ephesians chapter 1. And I mentioned last week that Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 is one long sentence which has about 228 or 230 words. Paul starts writing about our spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly realms and he cannot find a place to put a full stop. Our Bible translators have made one sentence. Sorry, I've made many sentences to make it easy for us to read it without losing our breath. So inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is so taken up by those wonderful spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms that God has showered upon his people that he just kept on writing one long sentence. And in these verses, Paul is going to describe for us Many of those spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms that God has provided for us through his son, the Lord Jesus. There is a flow, a pattern of thought running through this passage. Paul deals with election and predestination according to God's purpose and will. Then we see the goals of election and predestination. One is to be holy and blameless in love. The second other goal I think here is adoption in Christ. When Paul deals with our redemption, then Paul deals with our redemption in Jesus with the forgiveness of our sins. And we we'll look at that next week. And then he moves on to our inheritance in Christ. And then finally to the sealing by the Holy Spirit until that final and great day. So last Sunday we looked at that topic chosen in Christ uh, based on Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. And we, we looked at the different views of election and predestination. And therefore I don't plan to go through all of the material that we covered last week except to recap some points. I made the point, friends, that no matter whatever one views, one's view is on election and predestination are, You cannot and must not ignore the fact that election and predestination is a teaching of the Bible. For example, God chose Abraham. Why did he choose Abraham? Why not someone else? We don't know. God chose Israel from among the nations of the earth to be his precious people. Why didn't he choose some other nation? We read of God's choice of Jacob instead of Esau in Malachi chapter 1. Again, it was his choice. So therefore, election and predestination cannot be ignored. God, out of his sovereign choice and grace, has chosen a people unto himself before the foundation of the world. And God alone reserves the right to elect those whom he wills according to his mercy ...and good pleasure. It is not because of anything good... ...in you or in me. Is that clear? It's nothing that we can boast... ...and say to God... ...wow! Look at me God! You should count it a marvelous privilege... ...to have me as part of your family. Wow! Look at myself. Look at everything that I've got. Look at what I've done. I have sung in the church. I've done this. I've done that. I have given everything I have to the poor... Look at me, count it a privilege to make me your child. <laughs> Yours know, is nothing. It's out of grace. I said last week, I always say to myself that God has treated me better than I deserve. He has treated me, has tre- I, don't, I can't speak for you. But when I look at my own life and I see me standing in front of you, this is, this is amazing in itself. Because I was a shy guy, I never wanted to speak in front of people, I can assure you that. I used to go and look at debates in my college, and I used to sit on the back bench, and watch these guys talking to each other and think, man, how on earth are they doing that? Anyway, it's grace. I'm here before you. He has treated me better than I deserve. Given given us the gift of salvation. Alright? So, friends, He chooses to save sinners in spite of our sin. It is God's irrevocable call and human responsibility coming together to make this happen. And as I mentioned last week, election is a mystery. I have read lots of books this past few weeks on this topic. It is a mystery and therefore it is not meant for endless arguments as the good Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has clearly stated. It is for Christians. I want to reiterate this again. In case you live in this place with your head spinning, I just want to reiterate this this morning. That is, that it is meant to bring comfort to believers. It is meant to bring hope for believers. It is meant to encourage the hearts of believers. It is meant for our eternal assurance. It is meant to give us an impetus to take the gospel to the world Because we don't know who the elect are. We take the gospel out there to make Christ known to the ends of the earth. As we heard this morning, Europe included. To take the gospel out to the world. It is meant for praise for him. As we see here in Ephesians, we praise God. That's what Paul is saying here. It begins with praise, glorious praise in the text. Again, verse 12, glorious praise. Again, verse 14, praise to God that he has done this. That's why I say, praise God for the joy of our salvation. Do you do that? (laughs) When you are feeling a bit low, when you are feeling the pressures of life, when you look at this world and makes you feel so discouraged. Perhaps when you look at your own life and you feel that things are not right. Paul says here, praise God. And we we'll expand on that why this morning. So today let's pick up from uh, where we left last week. and focus our thoughts on 5 and 6. Two verses this morning. In fact, 5a I've already touched last week. on, So I'm not going to uh, speak so much on predestination. But... We see, I said one of the goals of, predestination, of election predestination is also our adoption. So we're going to look at this, our adoption. You see, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now I've looked at some of the, um, the theologians some of the books, um, uh, systematic theology uh, written by some of the guys. And there's not much material, in fact, written on this topic of adoption. In fact, some of the commentators say that the church has kind of forgotten to expand and to expose this wonderful doctrine of spiritual adoption. Some of the theologians would give only just two pages in their book on systematic theology on this topic. And yet it is such an incredible, incredibly rich theology that we have here you of know, what it means to be adopted as a child of God, okay? The more I've thought about it and I trust the more you think about it, that your hearts and mind will be so encouraged this morning. Adoption. I think Paul I believe, had the Roman law of adoption in the background when he wrote uh, of uh, adoption. You see, this word, adoption, is rooted in the ancient Greco-Roman legal practice. In Paul's day, adoption was very much part of the Roman world, just as much as it is today in some parts of the world. We had friends from the Netherlands, as you know, my wife is Dutch, so we had people come and visit us in Sri Lanka, and we had friends coming over from, from the Netherlands, and some of our friends would come there for purely the reason to adopt a child. And often, they would find little children in Sri Lanka and take them back to Holland. Uh, and it's wonderful stories of adoption, of families who have adopted children. I remember going uh, to the U.S. to visit a pastor there in, in uh, a Presbyterian, minister in Chicago, and uh, they had adopted a boy from Haiti. And uh, we, they had other children. He was very much part of the family. And I was observing how this child was responding in that home. Oh, what a blessing that was. For that child, what a blessing for the family to adopt a child so that that child can also hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very much part of the system. But here in particular, friends, in Paul's day it was very much part of the Roman world. And under Roman law, adoption was a legal act when a man, in this instance, chose a son who was outside of his family to take on his name and also to receive his inheritance. The adopted son was usually of an adult age. It meant that someone important had adopted this person to be his child. And it gave the person who was adopted entry into a privileged position into the family. And if, for example, the person was not a Roman citizen, then the adopted son could also receive Roman citizenship, which was highly valued at the time. And so further, Roman adoption indicated a radical break from the past. All previous deaths were written off and the person enjoyed the full rights of sonship within the adopted family. And so people understood adoption as referring to human adoption. And Paul takes this term adoption and gives it a theological perspective. By applying it to the special relationship which believers have with God. Friends, God does not only adopt men, sons. (laughs) We are sons and daughters. You see what I'm saying? Sons and daughters of God's family. See, we are not sons and daughters of God by, by nature, are we? In one sense, all of humanity covers that the fatherhood of God, but, but we are not sons and daughters of God by our humanity. It is a false sense of theology to say that. We lost that status. We lost the privileges of being his children with the fall in the garden. Yes? Right. Genesis chapter 3. But God did not leave humanity... In that sinful condition, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, 5 last week, he was not content to leave humanity in their lost condition. Instead, by a definite act of his grace and his sovereign choice in election, he brings those who are his into a relationship with him. He bestows upon them all the privileges of being his children. One writer puts it well by calling human adoption as an horizontal adoption and God's adoption as a vertical one. It is a vertical relationship with God that is established from eternity purely out of God's glorious grace. So what is adoption, friends? Very quickly. There are three formal definitions of adoption as we see in the Westminster Confession. Um. There is the basic definition in the in the shorter catechism, question 34. I won't go into all of that this morning. Then there is also what we may call an intermediate definition in the larger catechism. And we have a more comprehensive and full definition in the Westminster Confession of Faith. You see, this is an easier version of the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith. If you don't know it, I don't expect you to know everything of this. But certainly ministers and elders, we read this. This is our subordinate standard of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. Uh, our doctrinal statements first is let me illustrate it this way this is first this is second alright this is not there that's wrong God's word is on the top alright <laughs> always this is direct in this not the other way around ok so we have God's word as the primary supreme standard of the church I mean, this means confession uh, of faith which is the subordinate standard of our Presbyterian Church. So, if you want a copy, you can come and see me, read it. Anyway, that's all right for now. So, I want to encourage you to know what <laughs> our fundamental beliefs and faiths are, as adopted in the Westminster Confession. So, friends, this is what we read uh, In the... Uh, have we got the... Okay, right, okay. Okay, all those that are justified. This is what we see in the Westminster Confession of Faith. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth. Now, that is, God guarantees in, for his, in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness. I am able to cry, Abba, Father. are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father. Yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. I mean, I can stop there, isn't it? <laughs> you try and unpack this statement. It's comprehensive. It's there. It's here in this. It gives us a fantastic definition of our adoption in Christ. It's a packed statement. What we do see in adoption is that God's sovereign act of adopting us is a supernatural act. Of God himself. It was initiated by God alone. He himself made the decision. To make this possible. It's a beautiful lovely picture. Of God's grace. We did not choose him. But he chose us. We who were once far off from him. By our fallen human nature. Sin. Who were slaves to sin. Children of darkness. Now through our adoption in Christ. Have a new status. We have all the rights. And privileges. That comes with it. J.I. Packer, author of the well-known book, Knowing God. I'm sure most of us have read, I hope you have. If you haven't, I encourage you to read this book, uh, Knowing God. He has a a chapter on adoption and makes the following observation. He says this, our first point about adoption is that it is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. You see, J.I. Packer rightly considers adoption the highest privilege of the gospel higher even than justification because of the richness of the relationship with God. You say justification, friends, is a big term, let me explain very quickly. It's a it's a legal term, it's a forensic term, it's a declaration by God where he declares a sinner righteous. Okay? Remember, that's justification. It's a big word, simply means set free, justified, just as if I had not sinned. Yes, just as if I had not sinned. That's what God declares us to be. Okay? Just justification. It's a once and for all act, of forensic legal standing before God. Now, Packer says that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel, higher even than justification. And Why does he say this? Because he says, look, look what he says next. Adoption is a family idea. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. closeness, affection and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, justification is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the father, adoption is greater. Did you see that? The fellowship. Packer, speaking of the blessings of of adoption, says that adoption abides. By this he means that is that his adopted children, that there is absolute stability and security. And if you read the book, he says this. Read the chapter, he says this. He compares it to a family. In a normal family, where there's a father and a mother, sometimes there's instability in the home, right? And especially there's brokenness in the home. And there are children wandering all over the place without a security and a stable home. But in Christ, God, Packer says, that there is stability and there is security because the parent, Packer says, is wise and good. The child's position is permanently assured. How's that? Then God is your parent, He is wise is good and your position is permanently assured and secure wow you see friends how many people might come out from broken homes and families but when you are in God's family and part of God's kingdom The Father says, you are safe, and you are secure, and there is stability, because I am your Father. See, a few years ago, a German scholar uh, was, was doing research in New Testament literature. And a scholar discovered that in the entire history of Judaism and in all existing books of the Old Testament, and in all the existing books of the extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D., that there was not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as father. There were appropriate forms of address that was used by Jewish people in the Old Testament and their children were trained to address God in proper phrases of respect. All these titles were memorized and the term father was not among them. There was no direct address in which the person praying addressed God in personal terms as father. And you know what friends? The first... The first Jewish rabbi to go to call God father. Who was he? It was Jesus. He is the first Jewish rabbi, the teacher of the law. The one who brought the gospel was the first one to call God father directly. Only the Davidic king could address him as father, and this is prophecy as well, Psalm eighty nine. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. You see, this was on the basis of the covenant that God had made with David in 2 Samuel 7. This Jewish rabbi would call God the father. It's a radical uh, departure from tradition and and the Pharisees wanted to kill him. But now friends, now friends, what does Paul say? Galatians 4 And because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son Into our hearts crying What is it? Uh Aha Again Abba Abba father Father. Do you see that? The transition You see Paul is saying here And scriptures say Abba Abba is a a term of respect And of affection It's a term of respect and of endearment it is an affectionate term it simply means dear dad <laughs> dear dad or oh, dearest dad I mean for a moment that, to the fathers here yeah. I've spoken in the past about mothers all right? I mean there's no greater joy many uh, years kids come up and say dad, daddy I mean, right. no matter how old they are, and they call you and say, Dad! Oh, yeah. How lovely to hear that. How nice to hear those words. Dads, yeah? Come on, guys. Am I am I a bit stranger? Right. <laughs> right. I think mean, what a privilege, right? I mean, for mums as well, but I'm just focusing for dads today. Yeah. I mean, my, my kids would call. I, I have, we have a daughter who's 26, and she... I see it's in Canberra on a holiday. She called me last night, Dad, we are here in a tent. Look at us. On the, not through the Instagram or whatever it was. And you know, the moment I hear our kids and all that, they call, Dad, how are you? You know, I'm a, I'm a suki guy. I sometimes melt in my heart, you know. My daughters talk to me. I have a son. of kind of a different relationship there. But my daughters talk, you know, I just melt. That's me. They can come anything. Daddy, and it happens. <laughs> kind of, you know what I mean <laughs> Daddy You say, dearest dad That's the that, that's phrase here that's been used You say, daddy We cry out to him, Abba, father, dear dad F. F. Bruce Fantastic theologian Described Abba as the voice of the spirit of Jesus On the lips of his people <laughs> Fantastic description Abba, Abba, as the voice of the spirit of Jesus on the lips of his people. Paul goes on to write, says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, what are we? Uh Aha, did you get that? Did you see that? Not by our doing, but the work of the Spirit that takes us from the pit of sin to become a child of God. What a privilege, what a comfort, what a joy. You know, I, as a young guy, I... Um, I, I, li- I, I still listen to a lot of music, and one of the songs that I heard and listened as a young guy was this song. I think I mentioned it many, many years back again. "I'm Nobody's Child." Do you know that song, anyone? Maybe I'm in the my, my genre of music, uh, old-fashioned style. That's what my family tells me. I love the Runners and Jim Reeves and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, do you know that song? Any, you don't even know that song? "I'm Nobody's Child." Well, go, I, I see, Doug. Good one, Doug. Talk about it. Good, Yo, I love, I mean, that's, that's the kind of music, is great. I'm nobody's child. No mama's kisses, no daddy's hugs, I'm nobody's child. I, I used to listen to that song and think, man, what is going on? I was a young guy, I was not even a Christian then. I'm nobody's child. And I thought, how many people can I identify with that song? Think about it. The brokenness, the sadness, the sorrow, the emptiness... Everything. And if you are a child of God in Christ, you are not nobody's child. You are the child of God. You are the child of the Creator, the God who has made the heavens and the earth, the King of kings, the God of gods, has made you your. He has made you his child. You are mine, God says. You are not nobody's child. Your identity, your security, your stability comes in me. And that's the joy of our salvation. That's why I encourage you to sing this morning, blessed be the name of the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. That's what it is. So remember it, friends. We are adopted as His children. So I want to I have one story and then we'll try to wind up this thing soon, okay? In 2 Samuel chapter 9, the story of David, um, who adopted a son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. And his name was Meshibosheth, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now this guy, Meshibosheth, was crippled in his feet. And David said to uh, Ziba, uh, David said to Ziba, bring this guy out because I want to show favor To Jonathan, I want to show favor to Saul's uh, family. And then when Meshibosheth came, crippled at his feet, 2 Samuel chapter 9, David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage to David and said, what is your servant? That you should show regard for a dead dog as I. That's how Meshibosheth saw himself. If you read on, you see that Meshibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He ate at the king's table regularly. He was lame at both feet. You see, in that culture, to be lame, to be deformed, was to be an outcast. be left to himself. But David adopted him as a son. And Meshibosheth ate at the king's table. I think what we see here is a wonderful picture of race. See, Meshibosheth was a nobody, so to speak. But David brought this guy out. Meshibosheth saw himself as a dead dog. But David showed mercy. Now, friends, think about this for a moment. A greater than David came and did something more amazing Are we not outcast? Are we not spiritually deformed? Yeah? (laughs) Are we not deformed spiritually by our sin? Lost and alone? But now think of one better than David. Jesus. In God. Who has shown us mercy. He has lifted us up from the spiritual depravity. And the spiritual deformity of sin. By sending his son to the cross. And at the cross your sin and mine was dealt with once and for all. And now we sit at the king's table in faith every day. We're the king of kings and the lord of lords. What a privilege, eh? Did you see that this morning? We are called to praise God for the glorious grace in the beloved. In the beloved. That is God's son. See, God's son is the beloved one. Mark 9. Cloud appeared, covered them, a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love, listen to him. See, when Paul says the beloved, you know, there's a lot of material there. Paul is saying that God loved his son, right? The beloved son. The theology here is this, that he loved his beloved son so much. There's an intimacy now with God's people. That he loves us just as much. And that's the picture. So as we conclude, friends. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then how should you and I live in the light of our adoption in Christ? Let me highlight a few things. So we wind up this message. One, know that we are children who belong to Him. Is that clear? Alright. Rejoice. Have the joy of salvation in your heart. Two, we have a new family. God's family. He's redeemed the community. What a joy that is. For those of you who are migrants, you know it is hard, right? Yeah? Any migrants here, You got family back overseas? I'm one, my wife is the other. All, uh, most of our family are overseas. And that's the hardest. I've sometimes said to Rose, that's sometimes for me the hardest thing, because I miss seeing our family. We have to see our family, we have to fly overseas. (laughs) Most of our family is there. And it is hard, but I look at it this way, friends. When I see my brothers and sisters in Christ, I see you, and I see people like John and others. What a great joy it is for me to have brothers, because I, I am the only child. I never had brothers and sisters. And I, God has blessed me with so many brothers and sisters in Christ. In a new family. Isn't that tremendous? A family that loves and cares and supports and encourages and admonishes. And we work together. As God's family. That, that gives me joy in my heart. When I meet other brothers in Christ and pray with them and talk with them, it gives me joy. I have four guys that I speak regularly. I meet up with John regularly. We pray. Uh, my, heart, my heart beats faster when I meet with them and I say, Wow! How good is God! He's given me other brothers in Christ and sisters. You see what I'm saying? Thirdly, God is our father. He is our father. The loving and gracious father. Daddy, call God. Daddy, I come to you in faith. Know that. Four, we have access to the throne of God. You see, this is so tremendous, friends. We can come boldly into his presence anytime. We don't need to go through security clearance. No protocols to approach God. Bang, we are there. Alright? You don't have to go through all those security clearance as you, you know, go through your ports and all the bells go on and go to God straight away. Five. God has only one naturally begotten son, Jesus. But now, we are his brothers and sisters. Jesus is our brother. So, therefore, live your life confidently. Live it confidently, Right? This is not some positive thinking theology. This is coming out from the text here. Live it confidently in Christ. Live it by grace. Live it by the power of the Spirit of God. Live it with praise, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of sadness. Lord, you are in control. This is not my home. My home is with you in heaven when all of this will come to completion. In the new heavens and the new earth Our adoption is also futuristic I won't touch on that because it's another topic It will be made complete One day When God's family In heaven when Christ comes Will reign with him In the new heavens and the new earth Are you encouraged this morning? Do you see that this morning? Thank God That he has adopted you But here here is the final thing. What if you are not a Christian this morning? Then this means nothing to you. Well, listen to the words of Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 12. What does it say there? Let's read it. Let's read the text together. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you? Are you a child of God this morning? If you are not, then come to Christ in faith. If you are, then do him the glorious praise. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this wonderful joy of being adopted as your children. We ask you to bless our hearts and encourage us this morning to know that we belong to you. That you are our God. That all I am and all I have is because of you. In Jesus name. Amen.